always on the search, uh, you know, to make everything I do a bit more meaningful. Um, and I think that ritual really just infuses life with meaning. It's like the cheat code to, to sort of feel like things are a bit more significant um, than the world would see them. Welcome to ResCov's Letters to the Church, a series where we get to hear from people of all different walks of life tell us what they would like to say to the church at this particular moment. And today we're so very excited to welcome Mari Andrew. Mari is a writer, artist, and speaker who started a small Instagram account to share her daily drawings in 2016, which then blossomed into over a million followers in this uh, tight-knit community of people. Well, tight-knit, it's a million people, but <laughs> a community of people. Um, and she's also the author of the book, Am I There Yet? The Loop-to-Loop -loop Zigzagging Journey to Adulthood and is a sought-after speaker on a wide range of topics, including the creative process, artistry, and dealing with grief. On top of that, she's also a, a classmate of mine from North Park University. Uh, who's become a dear friend. So Mari, we're so glad to have you here and thank you for taking the time to chat with us. Yeah, thanks so much. Delighted. Thanks so much for having me. So our first question is like the get to know you question. Uh, and we say it two ways. If you were at a party and someone asked about who you were and what makes you you, how would you respond? Or if that doesn't strike your interest, what informs or shapes um, how you show up in the world? That's a great question. I would love to be asked that at a party. <laughs> what kind of party do I, do I get to be invited to where they, where they uh, ask this question? It's wonderful. Um, gosh, I mean, that is the question, right, of life. Like, how do we, hmm. how do we see ourselves? Maybe it's more my question. I'm an Enneagram 4, so I'm always wondering who I am and what I'm about and what my identity is. And I think about that a bit, and I think one thing that has really informed the way I show up in the world is I feel like I had um, a sort of reverse um, growth into adulthood, meaning that I think I did a lot of the sort of inner and reflective and spiritual work on myself pretty young. And then as I've grown older, I'm doing a lot of the, I'm learning a lot of the things that people, other people learned when they were young. <laughs> I feel like I'm kind of in this funny reverse where a lot of my friends, a lot of the people I spend time with are now kind of starting to explore questions that I think I was exploring when I was about 14. <laughs> like I did a lot of that really early. I think I had such a, like, desperation to know who I was and know I was so confused by the world I was such a sensitive kid and I was just like oh what is this so I had to kind of dig in really early to figure out what is the meaning what is happening and uh, ask a lot of questions really young when I was a really little kid, uh, my mom said that my Sunday school teachers were just mystified by me. Like, why is this child asking these questions? And then I think like college and beyond, I think I've started learning the things that other people learned when they were young. Like, I, th I think it's been a sort of growth from like individual to community. So mm -hmm. I feel like now I'm learning 
how to interact with people, (laughs) (laughs) how to have friends. I didn't really have friends for uh, my whole, like until my adolescence, through my adolescence. Um, So I'm learning about that. And I'm learning about like taking it easy. (laughs) I'm learning about like being adventurous and, um, you know, things maybe more about the external world than the internal and i think for a lot of people from what i understand that's kind of opposite it's like they learn about the external and then they go internal um when they get older so i don't know if that's how i explain it at a party but basically (laughs) that has made me i feel like i i had this really deep understanding of who i was and what i felt about the world pretty young and then as i moved through um to kind of the the more outward communal focused living that's when I could begin sharing what I learned about myself so I always think why didn't I start writing younger why didn't I start sharing art when I was younger I was 28 when I started and I think it's because I didn't really know how to interact with the world until I was quite a bit older and then it was like oh I can I can use all these things that I've been thinking about since I was five and now I can now I know how to communicate them like now I know how to share with people and interact with people. So that's the way that I sort of understand myself at this point. So asking the existential questions at your middle school parties wasn't quite the... (laughs) (laughs) Why are we here, guys? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. No, I mean larger, not not why are we at the bowling alley. (laughs) Love it. Um, I'm I'm intrigued by that. And I'm wondering if um, how your wrestling or navigating faith played into um, those kinds of larger questions that you were asking earlier on than perhaps your peers. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I think about that a lot. And I think I was so lucky to have, um, uh, to to be able to go to a church. I was lucky to have a faith community because um, I think I, I, I didn't really have a place to put all these big questions and I don't think they would have been really welcome at my school or with my, mm-hmm. with my friends, the friends, the sort of acquaintances that I hung out with. And I think church was the one place where it was encouraged to go a bit deeper and talk about values and talk about, um, you know, the meaning of life. And so I really liked that aspect but i think when you're younger in church often the the way that <laughs> that uh children's ministry works is that um they're they're talking to you like your kids they're trying to make church appealing for kids and i was sort of more interested in what the adults were, <laughs> what they were learning it was really stressful and hard for me to you know like play games and uh, do all the youth group stuff. So um, so I really liked having that framework. I loved being able to um, explore a lot of those topics. Um, but it was, it, but the way that, you know, a lot of social issues were talked about and the way that, um, the way that I, I think even then I had a, I had kind of an intuition that the way that, theology was um, was given to kids wasn't quite right for me. It didn't it didn't mm. quite resonate. And I, I knew that when I was older, I would kind of figure that out for myself. But mm. at the time, it was a little frustrating. Um, but yeah, it was it was wonderful to have 
to have that. I still think that is such a wonderful um, like place that church serves in society is to like have this place where you actually can ask those questions um, in a communal setting. I think that's really, really wonderful. Yeah. Um, it reminds me, I mean, the subtitle of your book is the loop to loop zigzagging journey to adulthood. But thinking about I knowing a little bit, bit about your story, kind of loop to loop zigzagging journey of faith is also true because I know I know you have a community you really love right now in New York City of faith, um, but what's kept you in the church? Because I know you've also had times when uh, the church hasn't been out. For many of us who grew up in evangelical context, the church always hasn't been a source of hope and joy. So how did you kind of make this journey into kind of this adult faith? Oh, great. I think that no matter what has happened in my life with the church or, or no matter what I think about the church at any given moment, I've always had like the God gene. Like I, I just believe in God. Like I, it's so, that feels so intrinsic to like the way I am in the world. I've, I've tried to be an atheist. I think it would be a lot easier <laughs> for me. And I just, I mean, it's not even, that's like trying to cut off my breath. It's like, so I, I have to believe in God. And so how am I going to express that? You know, like if I'm a creative person, um, you know, I've thought a lot about uh, how am I going to express this? Is it through art? Is it through writing? Is it through dance? Is it through acting? Like that's something I knew very young that I was creative. So what's, how am I going to express that? And I think my journey um, with faith is like, okay, I know I really believe in God, like very, very deeply. So how is that going to play out? And so um, I, I'm so glad that I took the time to really explore um, a lot of ways of, of what does what does the expression of belief look like for me? Um, so I was really fortunate in, in college. I felt like evangelicalism wasn't quite working for me for a lot of reasons. And um, I thought that I was like, I thought I was having a breakdown. Like I thought I was having like a mental <laughs> breakdown because mm -hmm. it felt so foreign for me to be so lost. Like, how do I do this? Like, I want to believe in God, but I don't know how. And um, I had a professor who um, encouraged me to try maybe a more liturgical tradition um, and encouraged me to read the mystics, which was really a profound experience. I'd never heard God talked about in that way. Um, I didn't know that I could believe in God and then also believe in these other things. So mm -hmm. that was really beautiful. And I was just so lucky. I mean, that was like total grace. I didn't really even seek it out. I just, um, I was just like given that gift. So I started going to an Episcopal church, which was a really wonderful thing. Like I, I, Again, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know you could, <laughs> yeah. like I didn't know uh, that you could like experience God in this way. And even then, it's so funny. It's so funny to think about now. But I sort of felt like that was almost a kind of weird, sinful. <laughs> I had to really reconcile a lot of my childhood ideas, and and I just remember I had a very profound experience at that church, feeling like this is exactly where I need to be, and nothing about this is wrong or it's just different. And, um, and then from then I've, I've gone to a lot of different types of churches and I'm always looking for, um, 
just a real intuitive connection to it. I'm not necessarily tied to the Episcopal Church or any one denomination, but there's something um, that I, I, I'm able to trust now in myself that I can sort of recognize it when I see it. Hmm. The, the, your comment about liturgy is really interesting. And I was, you know, as I was getting ready for this, I was, I watched a couple of your interviews with you and um, re skimmed through your book again. And one of the things that's clear is the importance of ritual. And this came up in one of the interviews that I saw. Um, like when you travel, you, you engage, like, I think the, you go to the same coffee shop every day in, in order to like set ritual. And as you were talking and, and, and speaking about liturgy and um, tradition, it made me wonder how do you see um, that kind of ritual helping you um, explore, stay rooted or feel at home in your faith? Oh, Aaron, what a great, <laughs> that is such a beautiful parallel. Thanks for making that. <laughs> um, and we're yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, such an obvious, it's such an obvious parallel and I just haven't, I don't know if I fully articulated it like that. Um, I always tell people like, like sometimes I get asked about like my creative routine and I'll say I'm not a routine person, I'm a ritual person. And I think um, maybe, I mean, this is real time revelation, but I feel like maybe something that was a little hard for me about evangelicalism was I, I felt like it was more of a routine, um, kind of a, uh, there were like a certain sets of things that, I felt like I had to do, whereas ritual I think of as more, um, um, a bit more specific and um, things that you can kind of do at any time. And I love that. So um, yeah, I, I think I'm always on the search, uh, you know, to make everything I do a bit more meaningful. Um, and I think that ritual really just infuses life with meaning. It's like the cheat code to to sort of feel like things are a bit more significant um, than the world would see them. Um, even just like I'm I'm moving now, and uh, <laughs> my therapist um, just told me she was saying, "I think you know, I was thinking about how you're sort of a spiritual person, and I was thinking maybe you could do some ritual for um, saying mm -hmm. goodbye to your apartment." I was like, "Girl, I am five steps ahead of you, of course." I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna like thank every wall, and um, yeah, and I I think I don't know if the specific brand of Christianity I now sort of identify with has given me um, all of those, but it's certainly given me a framework. And something that I absolutely love about the Episcopal Church in particular is that they have rituals for like so many um, moments in life that aren't usually like ritualized in our culture. Um, okay. Like I loved, when I first found the Book of Common Prayer, I loved seeing that there's like, you know, like an adoption ceremony and um, like loss of really specific that like loss of home. And, you know, there were like rituals and ceremonies for these different parts of life that we don't give a lot of um, weight to. And that's something that I love about rituals too. It it's, feels very different from routine because it's like giving weight to these parts of life that um, might go unnoticed or might go kind of like unfettered by society. And um, so I think that's such a beautiful, I think it's probably been sort of a, like a mutual, like I feel like I've, I've like brought my own ritual to my 
faith. And then I think that, um, you know, what I've learned about faith has, has brought more ritual to my life. So hmm. lovely. Well, uh, first, all all God's liturgists say amen to this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the other things I, I've thought a lot about, and uh, or with youth particularly, is that um, oftentimes when we hear the description Christian artist now, you know, for for throughout the Renaissance and the Middle Ages, that was kind of expected, you know. Um, but now when we think Christian artist, at least for maybe the more cynical like me, we picture like Thomas Kincaid and a shepherd and, you know, always so full of, uh, sentimentality. Um, but what does it mean for you to be an artist and a person of faith? And how do you see those two interacting? Another great question. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, um, cause I've actually been thinking about it as a sort of parallel to um, how I used my plat my social media platform to talk about um, like social issues mm -hmm. that I care about. And I really like, I've really been struggling with this. It's a, this is <laughs> it's gonna turn into a little therapy session, but <laughs> I am, um, I, so I feel like the, the problem with, what you're talking about with like Christian art with like a verse, you know, and a sailboat. Um, it seems, it's really like preachy, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's like, it's kind of, mm. it's showing you how to look at the art and it's showing you what, right. to, it's telling you what to feel and it's telling you kind of what to do almost. It's like, it's very like directive. And I've been thinking about that in relation to, what does it look like if I have certain, like very strong beliefs about social issues? What does it mean if I, if I want to sort of encourage people to think a certain way, which I don't want to do. So I, maybe that's, that's not even the right question, but it's like, how do I express that? How do I be an art? How do I like incorporate my beliefs into my Art. And I think the most beautiful Christian art that incorporates faith is not so explicit. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, it's kind of the long game. And it's like, oh, if you look at all of this person's poetry, okay, you can start to see some breadcrumbs. You're very sure about their values. You're very sure about how they see the world, but you might not know if they go to church every Sunday, you might not know how exactly they vote, but you know what their values are and they know, you know, kind of the arc of like, you know, their growth and their evolution. And I think that's, that's what I want to do um, more than like stand up there and tell people how to, how to feel and how to think, especially what about what I do. I was thinking about that in relation, I'm always, I feel like I'm always wondering what politics what role politics should play in church and i think you know it's so much less effective i think for someone to get up to the pulpit and tell you exactly what to think about something as it is you know sort of the law like can i look at this church and see what they've done over time and is that is that you know mm -hmm. like 
are they expressing their values with what they do and and who they welcome and you know those kinds of things as opposed to like what is the pastor saying about this particular you know issue well it reminds me you know in liturgy we talk about like the difference between a sign and a symbol a sign only points to one thing and a symbol points to many things, it's multivalent. And so it, it, it reminds me of that, like to me, good art doesn't foreclose on one meaning because then what, you know, mm. that's propaganda really. It's like, here's what you have to do. So what you're saying really resonates with me too. I love that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal that. <laughs> Please. <laughs> well, and I think there's, a, there's also a sense of, um, it opens possibility it makes space for imagination and even mystery if you're hundred percent. Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot too lately because I've been thinking about how um, I've been listening to a lot of um, interviews with Dr. Hillary McBride who hosts the liturgist podcast and she's a neuroscientist and she talks a lot about how spiritual growth happens when you kind of like oppose Something so like if if you're a person who naturally goes into flow, um, to grow spiritually, you'd want to incorporate more rigidity into your days and your life. And I've been thinking, I am so, I'm so all about mystery and uncertainty. Like that's where I live. And so maybe I do need to be a little more like certain about <laughs> some things. But maybe that doesn't have to look like directives. You know, that can just right. be my mm. own like if I'm certain about something, maybe that'll come through my art in a way that I'm not even, you know, aware of. So it's an interesting question for sure. So switching gears here a little, you began your Instagram account in a season of grief and grief has been something you've talked a lot about both in your books and uh, on your account. Um, And I think grief is always uh, pertinent, but especially in the season of COVID and the many injustices that seem on full display. So many people are trying to figure out how to handle their grief. So what have you learned on your own journey through grief that you feel like are some of these particular points uh, that you think could be helpful tools in this time? Oh man, I mean, I'm as lost as the next person. (laughs) (laughs) I think, man, we're so, like not very well equipped to think about grief. I I really found that in my own journey. That is something I will say for sure, is that our vocabulary about grief is so limited. Like when we think about grief, I think if you just think about that, you know, something comes up, comes to mind that's like a very specific way to think about it. I think a lot of people think about it as, oh, I've lost someone I love and now I'm very, very sad. And um, that's just so limited, like that just Mm -hmm. scratches the surface. Um, There's so many parts of grief that are so unexpected. And um, C.S. Lewis wrote that it feels a lot like fear, which I can really relate to that. I feel like more than sadness, I experience a lot of fear. And then another definition that really resonates is it's grief is the presence of absence. So it's like anything you've lost. Um, It's the feeling of the absence of that. And I think right now we're all grieving um, on some level, 
some something that was present and is now absent mm -hmm. and it's like that will that is really haunting and it's scary it's like this thing kind of follows you around and um i don't know if i have like you know top five tips or anything but <laughs> i think expanding your vocabulary um can be really really helpful and realizing i've been revisiting um the body keeps the score and mm -hmm. remembering um a lot that i've learned about like how your body uh carries trauma and sometimes you know these like this this time we're in can bring up so much trauma for people that they weren't even aware of and and by trauma i don't even mean like these really um like disastrous events but just like really like times of your life that you were isolated, that you thought you were done with that. And then now you're isolated again. And it brings up a lot of pain or heartbreak or, you know, these things that you might sort of dismiss as just like minor parts of the human condition, but it's, it's traumatic. Like this time is really traumatic. And um, so I think that that presence of all that we've lost, um, is like really deserves like the richness of vocabulary and deserves time and like serious mourning and being like super 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 gentle with ourselves and certainly i think um you know it's so easy right now to uh kind of indulge in comparative grief which is not helpful to anyone <laughs> like i think you know it's always good to have perspective but it really doesn't help to say oh well my my disappointment doesn't matter because people are dealing with worse if you don't yeah. like treat that it's gonna like keep coming up so i think just like extreme gentleness and being um being accepting of of your grief you know whatever it might be because there's so many ways to think about it. And it's not the way that we often think about it in our society. Hmm. Well, I was really hoping for an acrostic, but I guess we'll, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's um, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've been thinking a lot about the comparative grief and because I'll even find myself saying things like, wow, this is terrible and I'm really struggling, but I'm not that, you know, I don't have, and so we minimize our own experience of pain and grief. Totally, totally. Sometimes I try to take cues from like little kids who just, you know, if they like fall yeah. on the sidewalk, they'll just scream for hours. And <laughs> I think, and they're not thinking like, oh, but I don't, I, at least my leg isn't chopped out. You know, they're, <laughs> they're just like going for it. They're really, yeah. they're so embodied. They know how to, they know how to like get through their emotions. So I think we should just like scream as much as we want. I, yeah, that's really great. I love that. I love that idea of comparing it to how a child responds to pain. And I know we're running a little bit long, but I do. I I have a question that I want to sneak in here. Sorry, yeah. Dave. Um, that's fine. <laughs> I didn't know if you were prepped for that last one. Um, one of the, and I think I actually think it it piggybacks on what we're talking about. Um, but one of the phrases that you use in your book, and um, I came across again in another interview that you had done, is this idea of ordinary magic um, of everyday life. And as you were talking about just seeing the, there's something ordinarily wonderful about um, seeing a child embrace their pain wholly, you know? Mm -hmm. And it, 
I was wondering if there, how you experience God in the midst of like ordinary magic yeah. or how, um, how might that shape your, the ordinary magic, the ordinariness of it might shape your experience of God or faith. Yeah. Oh man, that's great. I mean, that's, I feel like that, that could be like a, a book that I don't feel equipped to write, but I would love to at some point. Um, I think it goes back to what I was talking about earlier, um, this kind of spiritual awakening in college that I thought was a breakdown, but it was really a breakthrough because because <laughs> I, I think I, I think I always thought God was only really relevant <laughs> in like very, very big moments. And most of them were catastrophic. Um, or only relevant in like rules that I had to follow. Like those were kind of the two options for where God showed up were in like disastrous when you lose everything and the rules that you need to follow to be a good person. And I, I remember sitting with this professor in college who um, like, I just felt like, Am I missing something? Like, I, I want to believe in this, but I just, I don't know where or how. Like, where do I put all this faith that I have? Where do I put all of this energy? And it was this really beautiful um, spring day in Chicago, which is such a glorious day because Chicago winters are so hard. And he, was, he just said, like, look out the window. Like, do you hear the birds? Do you hear the creek do you see the trees like did you enjoy listening to music today did you enjoy eating food today like that's all god anything that you're um you're experiencing of the good and beautiful is god and it, it doesn't have to really mean anything to someone else it's the way like these are all gifts for you and this was such a shocking i can't i'm sure my mat my jaw was on the floor i just never thought that god was like with me i thought god was yeah. like out somewhere ready to pounce whenever like i lost my home and my whole family or whatever and um and so now i talk to god all day long like i i, I have we have this like lovely casual conversation going and um and i think i'm always like I think it's such a nice way to live to just think that all this beauty and goodness around you is just like gifts, just little like, <laughs> that sounds so ridiculous, but little gifts, like little notes from God, like just little nice things that you can enjoy. And I don't know if it's like um, a particularly profound experience for me to see, you know, like a tree that I think is so beautiful. I don't know if it's like, it's not, it's not that I'm just being moved all day long to like ecstasy, but it's just like, ah, what a beautiful thing and what a beautiful world. And I think the more that I, that I think that way, the more that I'm convinced that God is like so deeply in love with the world and so, yeah. um, and just thinks everyone is so amazing and so good and, and so like lovely and, you know, and just wants like beauty for us. And that has really shaped the way that I interact with people and interact with myself and treat my own self. So yeah, get out there, get some trees. That's beautiful. It's really wonderful. Yeah. 
So as we wrap up, our last question is always the same, that in light of your vocation, specifically as an artist and writer and thinker, what do you want to say to the church at this moment? What are your hopes for the church? Oh my goodness. Well, it's so hard because I think there's so many, when I say church, I'm talking about something very specific that probably other people might not <laughs> might not think of. Um, okay, this is so corny, but this is what came to mind. It's the same thing that I tell artists and writers is like, be yourself. <laughs> like, mm. be, like, the church has such a special place right now in our world. I can't think of anywhere else where you can go and find a community of people who like are who just want to be good, you know, and, and there's not really much else. <laughs> like you're just you're in a perfect church, which there is none, but in in a very like wonderfully evolved church, you can go there and really be loved for uh, who you are and not what you do. And that's so unusual and so special. I really can't think of anywhere else where that would happen. Um, and I think that the church can really serve people that way. And that's what it can do right now. And it might not be able to do a lot of other things. Like there's a lot of things that the church used to be able to do that it just can't do anymore. Um, but it can be this like refuge for people and it can remind people of their goodness and it can heal people and um, can like give us so much vocabulary to live better lives. So I just want the church to like be fine about what, what it can do and just release the things that it can't, but there's a lot it can. And I love that. So um, yeah, I, I think that what, what is always kind of disturbing to see is when any person or any organization or institution is really trying to do what they they can't or you know they shouldn't be because it uh, we have you know these very specific um, places and people to serve. So be yourself, church. You've got this. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Mari. That's that it's as you can see we we don't normally don't go this long but it just felt like such a wonderful conversation um and thank you so much you know in in christian terms we talk about sacraments as the physical places where god shows up and i think one of the gifts you bring to the world is this kind of sacramental imagination where you find god in these ordinary magical things and then share them with the rest of us which helps us to see too i know you do that for me and for so many so thank you so much Mari. that's okay yeah. thank you guys